Well, good morning, everyone. I hope y'all are doing well. Uh, We're going to go ahead and pray and get started. So join with me in prayer. Father, thank you for an opportunity to gather and worship you this morning and to study your word. I ask that you would make our hearts receptive to your word. And through the power of your spirit, I would proclaim your word in love and with boldness and clarity. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, the one who restores. Amen. So today we're starting a a mini sermon series that's called Restore. And I know for many of you over the last year or two, uh, you're very tired and a lot of us have felt a weariness. And when you think about the last year, especially with COVID, with the political societal unrest that we have gone through, it's not really surprising that we've been fearing this, feeling this kind of weariness. I was reading an article the other day um, that had just come out a few weeks ago, and um, it was showing the statistics of how there's been this sharp increase of depression. Uh, over the last year, a larger number of Americans are reporting that they're depressed and that they're needing medication. And we're, we're seeing that even within the church. Barna, who is a research group who, who does research based on churches and Christians, they came out with a study recently saying that even within the church, that a lot of people are reporting that they're feeling more anxious and they're not satisfied with their mental and emotional well-being. We're even seeing that pastors aren't exempt from this. Over the last year, we've seen record number of pastors burning out and quitting. And I personally have known and seen uh, several pastors and churches who have gone through this over the last year. And so I share all of this to say that if you have felt a weariness over the last year, know that you're not alone. And know that I've been there, right there with you. I have felt this weariness at times, and I've been overwhelmed by it at times. Towards the end of last year, um, the Psalm 5112 kept coming to mind. That verse says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I kept finding myself echoing those words of David, asking God, Restore to me your joy. Restore within me a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of joy when I think about you, when I think about your goodness, when I think about your mercies, when I think about your gospel. A pastor I know has a podcast and he does these daily devotionals and I'll periodically tune in and give it a listen. And so back in January, I happened to be listening to one of his episodes and he was talking about how um, for this, this coming year, for 2021, that he was talking about his word for the year. And if you're not familiar with that, that concept or that practice, uh, some people will pick a word that will be their theme for the year. And, and throughout the year, they will spend time praying about this word and then studying it and digging into it and asking God that, they would, that he would grow them in their understanding of it and cultivate this word in their life. And so someone might pick a word like love or patience or boldness or encouragement. I've never personally done this before, uh, but after listening to that podcast, the word restore just kept coming to my mind. And so I decided I'd give it a try this year. And so I have been focusing on that word um, throughout this year. And one way that I've been doing that is during my quiet times, I've been doing a word study. And so I get my Bible Bible app out and I search for the word restore. And then I've just been slowly working my way through all the passages that pop up in scripture that have this word restore. And I take time to reflect on it and make notes and, and pray about it and meditate on it. And you know, there's times where God has things that jump off the pages and hit me in the face. And there's other times I, I read the passage and I'm not really sure. It's not as obvious, and, but, but I still chew on it and pray that the Lord would, would do something with it in my heart. Um, but overall, it has been a very neat 
and uh, awesome process. And he's, he's used it to encourage me. And I've seen um, some common themes that just keep popping up throughout Scripture. As I'm, as I'm looking at this word restore, I keep seeing these common themes. And so as we were nearing the end of our John study a few weeks ago, we were discussing what we were going to do next. And uh, we decided for the month of May, let's do something short um, before we start our summer series, which will start in June. And so I mentioned that I'd been doing this, word, this restore word study and that I could probably put together a sermon. Um, and so that's what we're doing today. And then next week, Will McGoldrick's actually going to preach. And he's, for the last year or so, been personally studying through the theme of abiding in Christ. And interestingly enough, the theme of abiding in Christ, I found, is tied very closely to this theme of restore. And so we decided we'll make that into a little mini-sermon series. Um, and so it's at least going to go for the next two weeks, but um, we actually are going to have on May 23rd, we're going to have Jeff Shipman, who's the pastor at Crossroads. He's going to come and guest preach for us. He's, uh, been, he's a good friend, and he's been a source of encouragement and, um, and support over the last year for me and, and also for our, for our elders. And so he's going to come in and preach. And, um, and then Randy's going to close out the month. So I shared the, the restore idea with them. Who, I don't think they've decided on what either of them are going to preach yet. Uh, so who knows, maybe this turns into a four-week series, but that's what the next few weeks are going to look like. And so at least the next two, we're going to be in this theme of restore. And so today, to kick it off, I wanted to ask two questions. I want to focus on two questions. Why and what? Why do we need to be restored? And what do we, need, what do, we do when we find ourselves in need of being restored? Why do we need to be restored? And what do we do when we find ourselves in need of being restored? So let's start with the first question. Why do we need to be restored? In Psalm 23, David begins by declaring that the Lord is his shepherd. And then in verse 3, he reveals something that the Lord does as our shepherd. David says, he restores my soul. But why would a sheep in the care of a good shepherd need to be restored? Or to put it another way, the psalmist in Psalm 42 asks, why are you cast down, O my soul? And that word cast down means despair. So the psalmist is saying to his soul, why are you in such despair? As the adopted children of God, co-heirs with Christ, who have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, why do we find ourselves in moments where we experience weariness and despair and we feel God is distant and silent? And we have this cry in our heart for the Lord to restore us. I think staying in Psalm 23 and sticking with the sheep imagery can help provide some helpful answers and insight. There's a book by a guy named Philip Keller, and it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And so as you can probably guess from the title, Philip is a shepherd, and he reflects on Psalm 23 from a, the perspective of being a shepherd. And in his chapter on this phrase, he restores my soul, Philip uses his knowledge of sheep to provide a really helpful illustration. I mentioned it just a minute ago, but the psalmist in Psalm 42 says, uh, he uses this language of his soul being cast down. And interestingly, in the world of shepherding and sheep, there's something called a cast sheep. And being cast is one of the greatest threats to sheep. A cast sheep is when a sheep has turned over on its back and it can't get, get back up. So, of course, a cast sheep becomes easy prey for predators. But not only that, while it's on its back, gases begin to rise and fill inside the sheep that are very deadly for the sheep. 
So obviously a cast sheep is not a good thing. Now, according to Philip, there are three common reasons why sheep become cast. The first two are related to weight. Either the sheep is fat and it's weighed down by its own weight, or the sheep has such long wool and it's become so matted and packed with dirt and debris and filth. So it's not the weight of the sheep that's weighing it down, but it's the weight of this wool and the junk in the wool that's weighing it down. And so these sheep, due to either their own weight or the, or the weight of something else, this external weight, they're weighed down and can easily become cast. But there's a third reason that sheep can become cast, and it doesn't have anything to do with their weight. That other reason is soft ground. Sheep naturally look for the soft ground to lie on because obviously it's more comfortable than hard ground. But that actually poses a very dangerous threat for them because it's on soft ground that a sheep can very easily inadvertently roll onto its back and then become cast. And so as we think about this question, why do we need to be restored? Why is my soul cast down? I think we can draw some parallels with these cast sheep. Perhaps we're cast down because of the weight of our sin. Sometimes our weariness and our need to be restored is brought on by our own sinful choices. I quoted Psalm 51 earlier, and that psalm was written by David in response to his sin. Those were words written by David in response to his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the deception and the murder that followed. He's calling out to God, to restore him because his sin has cast him down. So like the sheep cast because of its own weight, our sinful choices and actions can cast us down. But maybe it's not our sin. Maybe like the sheep weighed down by the wool that's matted and packed with the filth and the junk of the world, the brokenness and the filth and the junk of this world has cast you down. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or an ongoing illness that doctors can't seem to figure out. Maybe it's intense financial burdens or a broken relationship. Maybe it's persecution for your faith or even spiritual warfare. Maybe it's a global pandemic that has shut the whole world down and completely altered your way of living. And in the midst of this pandemic, people can't seem to agree on anything People keep taking polarizing stances and opinions and are unwilling to find common ground to work together. So the brokenness and the filth of this world can weigh and cast you down. But like sheep, there can be another reason you're cast down. Maybe you found and settled in the soft ground. Maybe life was going well. Maybe you were experiencing blue skies and sunshine. Maybe you and your loved ones are healthy Your bank account's healthy. Maybe everything seems to be going your way. Perhaps you found the the soft ground and you settled down into it, thinking that you've arrived. You finally made it. You're enjoying the comforts of life, and these comforts created a sense of safety and satisfaction. And so you settled down, not realizing the danger it posed. And now you find you're cast down. The comforts of this world have deceived you. You believe the old lie that safety and satisfaction can be found outside of Christ. You looked to the world to provide those things. And for a moment, it seemed like the world could, in fact, 
provide you those things. But eventually you find yourself cast down. You find that your soul is dry and it's thirsty because the things of this world couldn't satisfy. The things of this world have proven they can't protect you. And so you find that you're thirsting for a living water that only Jesus can provide. So looking at cast sheep, it provides some helpful parallels as to why we may be cast down and the ways that we ought to be on guard to protect our soul from being cast down. But here's the thing. We are broken and fallen people, and we live in a broken and fallen world. And so inevitably, we will find ourselves in seasons of weariness and echoing the words of the psalmist, why are you cast down in my soul? So what do we do in those moments? When we find ourselves in need of being restored, what do we do? The first thing, and this is going to sound very simple and feel like a Sunday school answer, but it's vital that we always start here. The first thing we do is we must go to the one who can restore. We cannot restore ourselves. The people in your life cannot restore you. The things of this world cannot restore you. There is only one who can restore. And David draws our attention to him in both Psalms 23 and 51. In both of these Psalms, David calls out to the Lord to restore him because it's only the Lord who can restore. The Lord, who is our shepherd, is the one who restores our soul. Only the Lord can restore within us the joy of his salvation. Lamentations 5, 21 says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Only the Lord is capable of restoring us. And the way he restores us is by bringing us into fellowship or unity with him. Or another way to put it, we are restored when we abide in him. And as I said earlier, we're going to dig deeper into that theme of abiding in Christ next week. But I want to stress that when we find ourselves in these moments where we need to be restored, we must always, always, always first look to Jesus. We can only be restored by abiding in the one who can restore us, and that is Jesus. But abiding in Christ doesn't mean the sorrows and the trials and the brokenness of this world will magically go away. In Psalm 23, we have David rejoicing and celebrating that we serve a God who is attentive and aware of us, and he's actively involved in our lives. But if we go back just one chapter, Psalm 22, which was written by David as well, we hear David say this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Abiding in Christ does not guarantee that we will always feel his presence. In our pursuit of him, there will be seasons where he may feel distant and silent. Abiding him does not mean our weariness will immediately be lifted. So what do we do in those moments? What do we do when we are asking the Lord to restore us, but he feels distant and silent? Looking back to Psalm 42, we see the psalmist model for us what we ought to do. He talks to himself rather than listening to himself. He preaches the gospel to his own soul. He asks himself, why are you cast down, my soul? And then he goes on to tell himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones describes it this way. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come, up, that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but there they are talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, my soul? He asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. When God feels distant and silent and those voices in our head are getting louder and louder, we still have his word. Therefore, we ought to proclaim his word, his gospel to our souls. We must preach to ourselves the sweet truths of scripture. In my restore study, uh, the word restore is used several times in Genesis chapters 39 through 41. And this is where we find Joseph in prison. And this section of scripture reminds us of three beautiful truths in scripture that specifically address these moments when God feels distant and silent. And so I want to turn our attention to that. Now, I'm sure most of you remember the life of Joseph, but just to refresh our memory, he was one of the sons of Jacob. He was Jacob's favorite. He had the colorful robe. Um, God allowed him to interpret dreams that involved his brothers bowing down to him. So his brothers you know, don't really like that. They're not big fans of that. So they plot against him. They end up selling him into slavery. Joseph ends up in, in Egypt. He's working at the house of Potiphar. God grants Joseph success. Potiphar promotes Joseph to be over, the overseer of his whole house. Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph, kind of tries to seduce him. Joseph rejects her. She falsely accuses him, and he finds himself in prison. While he's in prison, the Lord has favor on Joseph, and Joseph is promoted within the prison as being put in charge over all the prisoners. Sometime after this, Pharaoh gets mad at his baker and his cupbearer and throws them in prison. And while they're in prison, both of those guys have dreams that Joseph happens to be able to interpret for them. Three days later, Joseph's, both of his interpretations prove to be true and accurate. The baker is killed, and the cupbearer is released and restored to his position. So Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, remember me. Mention my name when you're back before Pharaoh. But we're told at the end of Genesis 40 that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. And at the start of chapter 41, we're told that two whole years passed. So think about that for a second. Scripture doesn't reveal much. But you have to wonder what's going through Joseph's mind during that time. After the cupbearer is released and restored, Joseph's probably pretty cautiously optimistic that things are looking up and maybe he's going to finally get released. But then two whole years pass where nothing happens. I have to imagine that Joseph probably wrestled with a lot of disappointment and discouragement during that time. Perhaps he would have prayed what David prayed in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I asked earlier, what do we do in those moments when we are asking the Lord to restore us, but we feel that he is silent and distant? And my answer was, we ought to proclaim his word, his gospel to our souls. We must preach the sweet truths of scripture to ourselves. And looking at this moment in Joseph's life, there are three beautiful truths we are reminded of that we should preach to our souls. The first truth is this. Though man may forget us, God is mindful of us and present with us. 
Genesis 39 ends with Joseph being thrown into prison, but we're told God, the Lord, was with him. Chapter 40 ends where man has forgotten Joseph. The cupbearer has forgotten Joseph. And chapter 41 begins two years later. And yet, despite the cupbearer forgetting Joseph, despite the two years of silence where nothing happened, nothing changed, what we were told at the end of chapter 39 is still true. The Lord was with Joseph. And brothers and sisters, the Lord is with us too, even if we don't feel his presence. Listen to these promises that he has proclaimed to us through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And later in Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Brothers and sisters, cling to this truth. Cling to this promise. When you are overwhelmed with weariness, when you are in the pit of despair, When your cry is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When your heart longs for the Lord to restore the joy of his salvation, but it feels like you're met with silence, cling to this truth. Proclaim this truth to yourself that the Lord is with you. He is mindful of you. He has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. The second truth is this. God has a purpose for it all. He is sovereignly in control of all things. Nothing can happen outside of his will. Isaiah 46, the Lord declares, I am God and there's no other. I am God and there's none like me. I will accomplish all my purpose. Preaching on this text, John Piper once said, God has the rightful authority, the freedom, the wisdom, and the power to bring about everything that he intends to happen. And therefore, everything he intends to come about does come about, which means God plans and governs all things. He goes on to say, everything that happened or will happen is purposed by God to happen. So Joseph being betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, his success and promotion under Potiphar, the false accusations that landed him in jail, his success and promotion in prison, his ability to interpret dreams, the cupbearer forgetting Joseph for two years, all of that was purposed by God. It was all part of his plan. And as you look at the remainder of Joseph's story, we see that God was governing and orchestrating every single detail It was through Joseph that God protected and preserved his people. And this is why Joseph could later on in life say to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good so that many people would be saved. And just as God was sovereignly in control over Joseph's life, he is sovereignly in control over your life. And what has happened is happening and will happen is purposed by God. And that includes the weariness you feel. That includes the deafening silence of God. Includes those feelings, those moments when he feels so far off and distant. God has a purpose even for those moments. And maybe 
the Lord will graciously give you perspective like he did with Joseph and allow you to look back on these moments and see what he was doing. But even if he doesn't, he has revealed to us at least one purpose for the suffering and affliction. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, the father of mercies and God of all comfort comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Charles Spurgeon, who's considered one of the world's greatest preachers, struggled throughout his life with intense depression. But rather than seeing his depression as something that incapacitated him or made him useless, he saw it as making him even more useful because it allowed him to better sympathize and comfort others. He referred to himself as a wounded healer, and he loved being able to use his experiences to comfort others. And he once said, It's a great gift to have learned by experience how to sympathize. Ah, I say to them, I've been where you are. And they look at me and their eyes say, no, surely you've never felt as we do. I therefore go further and say, if you feel worse than I did, I pity you. Indeed, for I could say with Job, my soul chooses strangling rather than life. I could readily enough have laid violent hands upon myself to escape from my misery of spirit. Spurgeon rejoiced in knowing that those moments allowed him to better comfort others. And so the second truth we should be preaching to ourselves in these seasons of silence is that God has a purpose for everything. And this includes the trials and the suffering. While he likely may have many, many, many purposes for what we're going through, we know at the very least that one of those purposes is to better equip us, to more fully equip us to help sympathize and comfort those who are in any affliction. And finally, the third truth we should be preaching to ourselves is this. God is faithful. We can trust him. I mentioned it earlier. Through Joseph, the Lord would sustain his people. If God had allowed Joseph and his family to perish in the famine, then God would not be faithful. His promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations would have been broken, and God would be a liar. But God is not a liar. He can be trusted. David declares in Psalm 36, God's steadfast love extends to the heavens and his faithfulness to the clouds. We see throughout the word, as well as in the life of the church and the life of the saints, God prove over and over and over and over and over again that he is faithful. And we see his faithfulness most clearly in Jesus and the redemption Christ secured for us through the cross. God promised all the way back in the garden that he would send the Messiah. He would send one who could restore us with God. And he kept that promise. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So God is faithful. And we most full, he most fully demonstrates his faithfulness by the fact that he sent Jesus but not only are we saved through Jesus, but we are promised eternal life if we put our hope and trust in Jesus. We are promised a full and complete restoration with God one day. So when he feels distant and silent, we preach to ourselves words like Paul's in 1 Thessalonians, that God will sanctify you completely and that he will keep you blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
Because he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We preach to our souls that these trials and sorrows are a tool that God uses. He uses them in love, but they're a tool he uses to sanctify us and to prepare us for the return of Jesus. Proclaim to yourself that he is faithful. He will sanctify you. He will keep you blameless. And one day Christ will come again. And at that point, we will be fully and completely restored to him. And as David says at the end of Psalm 23, we will dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. So brothers and sisters, if your heart would echo David's words in Psalm 51, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. If you are overwhelmed by weariness and your soul is longing to be restored, if you find yourself in a season where you are asking God to restore you, but he feels silent and distant, continue to seek him. Dig deeper into his word. Cling to the promises of scripture. Proclaim those promises of scripture to your soul. Preach his gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that he is mindful of you. He hasn't forgotten you. Remind yourself he has a purpose. What's happening to you is not random, it's not a mistake, and it's not evil. It's part of his plan, which is good. It's for your good and for his glory. Remind yourself that he is faithful. He will bring to completion the good work that he started in each of us, and he will return one day just as he said he would. We're going to transition to communion now. And as we like to say, this is a family meal that the body of Christ participates in. So if you're not a Christian, if you have not repented of your sin and believed in the Lord Jesus, then we would ask that you not participate in this time. But I would like to encourage you, spend this time in personal reflection in those moments of life when you've been overwhelmed by weariness and sorrow, what were the things that you've turned to? What are the things you've turned to for comfort, for peace, for joy, for rest? And how have those things failed you? Because I'm confident that they have failed you. And please know that I, along with many other people here this morning, would love to tell you about Jesus because he's far greater than anything that creation can offer us. Only Jesus can offer us true peace joy and safety and satisfaction. And if you're a Christian, if you have surrendered your life and submitted your life to the Lord Jesus, then the table's open to you. Remind yourself that the juice represents his blood poured out and that the bread represents his body given for us. And remind yourself, rejoice in the amazing reality that Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep. Use this as a time right now to preach to your soul. Preach the incredible truth that through Jesus you can be restored with God. Remind your soul right now that one day Jesus will return. He will gather his bride to himself and we will dwell with him in a new heaven and a new earth for eternity where there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more weariness, no more sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, who are we that you would be mindful of us? We are so humbled that you have called us by name and made us your own. 
Lord, if anyone here today is weary, let them remember Christ's invitation. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Thank you that through Jesus' work on the cross, he has secured redemption for us. Through Christ, we can be restored with you. Through Christ, we can find rest. Through Christ, we can have joy and peace. Though there are times we may feel forsaken by you, we know we are not because Jesus was forsaken by you on our behalf. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because Jesus walked this valley alone and endured the evil on our behalf. And therefore, just as Christ has risen from the dead, we cling to the promise that death has been defeated and we will one day rise with him and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.